0: Here's how I want to start tonight. You tell me, what are some things the Bible says or teaches that are controversial today? Okay, husband, head of the house, we'll talk about that tonight. Pay back evil with good, wives, submit to your husbands. There's quite a bit in the Sermon on the Mount, right? What are what are some things that the Bible says it and our society says, no, 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 that Gay marriage, marriage in general, one man, one woman. I said this at the four o'clock. Somebody said, that whole thing you did two weeks ago about following government and obeying and being a part even if you don't like them. <laughs> because we do have ness is a trait of our culture, right? If you don't believe that, turn on the television and try to watch a program without people yelling at each other. Any kind of news program they're yelling, sports program they're yelling, they're talking back and forth, right? We're going to talk tonight about a a double whammy, two packed into one small little passage, all right? So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to talk about it, okay? Wives in the same way, this is chapter 3, verse 1, verse Peter, wives in the same way Submit yourselves to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the Christian message, they may be won over without a message by the way their wives with. That sounded like Elmer Fudd there. The way their wives live. That's hard to say. Their lives live. Wives live. When they observe your pure, reverent lives, your beauty, should not consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold ornaments or fine clothes. Instead, it should consist of the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very valuable in God's eyes. For in the past, the holy women who hoped in God also beautified themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do good and aren't frightened by anything alarming. Verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives with understanding of their weaker nature, yet showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. All right, so let me ask this question, and this is for the females, because guys, if you try to answer this, you may get hit, okay? What in that passage, as females, strikes you just the first reading going, ugh, ugh, I don't know about that, or... I'm not sure I like how that sounds or gentle and quiet spirit. Okay. The imperishable quality of gentle and quiet spirit. The weaker partner. Anybody else? So nobody's worried. Nobody bothered by that submit word. At least not to where you admit it in church, right? Here's the thing that makes that word a little more difficult to take a little bit, speaking as a man. Um, it says wives in the same way. So that usually means what I just talked about the same way. What did he just talk about? Slaves. Right? Isn't that what just came was wives in the same way as I just talked to slaves about their masters i'm talking to you about your husbands you know there are times when i'm glad the culture doesn't read the surrounding passages and talk about it because they just you know they just pick out a verse christians do this too it's not just the culture they just pick out a verse but if the culture got a whole they go "Well, look at that look what the bible says he says that the women are just like the slaves is that what he's saying no What we have to remember is the full context, right? Not just the previous verses, but the full context. And Peter is writing to people who are under control of someone else or under authority from someone else and how they are to interact in that way. We have to, if we can, remove ourselves from this environment for a little bit and transport ourselves 2,000 years ago to where Peter is writing and think about the culture in which he's writing. And the first thing he wants them to know is, as a Christian, just because you've become a follower, a believer in Christ, does not give you the right to get rid of all other responsibilities you have in life. It doesn't give you the right to say, well, I am free in Christ. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. We are free. And if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. So I am leaving my husband. I am leaving my master. I am leaving this government. He says, no, you don't change your position now. But in the midst of that, you live a life that is so refreshing and different and right that people see it and they're drawn to our Father. So to the one in the government, he says, listen, don't go out there and make a big fuss trying to overthrow the government because our concern is not our primary concern. This is important for believers to hear on the first debate night too. Our primary concern is not just a better run government of our own country. Our primary concern is the furthering of the kingdom of God. And so don't Sacrifice your witness for the kingdom to get your candidate elected. And if the wrong candidate in your mind gets elected, that doesn't give you the right to say, Well, I'm a Christian, I don't have to do anything about it. And then he says to the slave, Don't, because your eternal position in Christ has changed, don't take that to be an opportunity to run away from who you are here here's what peter's concerned with he's concerned with the overall reputation of christians and i want you to think about these three scenarios what if it became known of people that followed jesus in this time that they no longer supported the government that they ran away from their masters and that the women left their husbands suddenly you have a religion that is calling people away now what you have is a bunkered mentality a bunkered idea that we're just going to cluster with our people and never worry about the society at large when Peter says it is a subversive kingdom that we're building and we have to win people by our lives and so he goes from the government to which would have applied to all of them that were christians being persecuted by this totalitarian government saying listen just obey even if it means obedience unto death obey and then he says to slaves do what you can and the concern always is so that gentiles may see your life and give praise to god so that your masters might come to know the father and then he says to women in these marriages so that if you have a husband who is turning his back on God, and the wording there means literally to making fun of Christians, to going opposite of Christians, to moving away from them, to saying bad things about them, maybe even deriding them of their faith, that you are to stay in the relationship, serve your husband so that he may come to know the Lord. Peter is concerned with believers Taking the long view and not the short-term view, and it's so easy to focus here, now, current situation. Uh, I was with Miss Irene Intrican today. Miss, some of you know Miss Irene. Some of you probably don't know Miss Irene, but Miss Irene um, lost her husband a few years ago. Since I came to be pastor, she lost her husband. Miss um, Irene was in the hospital last week, and um, she was in the hospital with pneumonia and a heart issue, and while she was in the hospital, her daughter was uh, murdered um, in the house that the two of them had been living in. And I went over today, and, and you walk in. there's no way that you can there's no way that you can say anything to make it better, and you just can't. So I said that, Miss Irene. There's no way I can do that. And Miss Irene, as we all are, was very focused on here and the grief here. Her son was there, and he just kind of said something. And it, it he said, because um, she said, "My, my golden years have been terrible." Was a phrase she used. And he said, "That's not all the way true." And so they spent the next four or five minutes talking about good things that had happened. Now, here's the thing. I told Miss Irene, the Bible teaches us to grieve, and but not to grieve like people don't have hope, but grieve. I mean, be in the moment. Yes, this is a terrible situation, but also to try to take a long-term view. We, we ended up talking about her trip with her Mr. Herschel took to the Holy Land. Talk about her daughter that, that just passed away, the trip that they took to the Holy Land back years ago. We end up having these discussions, and the long view helps us to deal with the short-term issues. But what he's saying here, if Peter's saying to the people, listen, if you take the really long view, not like the hundred-year view, the eternal view, there is nothing we cannot endure in the here and now because of what Christ has for us. And so wives... Put yourself under the authority of your own husbands so that even if some disobey, they may be won over without a message by the way their wives live. One of the greatest autobiographies that's ever been written was written by a guy named St. Augustine. And St. Augustine, um, a great man, great theologian, tells the story there about his mom who was a believer and his dad was not. And he writes in there Confessions of St. Augustine. He's confessing things to the Lord and he says, I remember my mom telling him about you all the time and constantly serving him to ends that we wouldn't believe and then in the midst of it reminding him of you. And at the end of his life, his dad's name was Patrickus. at the end of his life, his dad came to know the Lord as his Savior. And it was almost as if it was exactly like it says here. One of my favorite authors um, of the last few years got a guy named Lee Strobel. Anybody know, familiar with Lee Strobel? Lee Strobel's written books called The Case for Christ, Case for Faith, Case for Creator, Case for Christmas, Case for Easter. I don't know if he's got any more cases out there, but he's writing. Uh, Lee Strobel was an investigative journalist for the Chicago Tribune and their major crimes division. So he would cover like the major Chicago crimes. He would follow the trials. And Lee says he called himself an atheist, but he may have really been an agnostic because he just didn't know if you could prove it. And he was in a lot of business where everything had to be proved. Well, his wife became a believer. And he said, I remember distinctly telling her, well, that won't last. And so she started going to Bible studies and all this stuff. And finally, he took it upon himself to go prove her wrong in her own Bible studies. So he started going. And he said, you know, I heard the arguments. And he talks about this in the case for Christ a little bit. And um, there's a book that he and she wrote together um, called um, Surviving a Spiritual Mismatch, which is probably not a good book for the husband or wife to find on the coffee table you know what are you reading oh so who's the mismatch here right but he he and she wrote it together he says more than the arguments about who christ is which he believes more than the investigative journalism he did which he now writes about he said the thing that changed my mind was the way my wife lived he said and when i saw the change that happened in her i thought there has to be something true about this and that's what Peter's talking about. It's not just submission just to be the one that is beaten down. It's submission for the purpose of bringing them to Christ. Now here's the thing. For wives who have husbands that are already believers, it's submission that helps lead them in their growth with the Lord. When they observe your pure, reverent, lives then he goes on to say and it, you know as my grandfather used to say he went from preaching to meddling real fast he gets on them about the way they dress right your beauty should not consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold ornaments or fine clothes that's kind of a weird thing in the middle of all this Here's what he's saying. Don't worry so much about what you look like on the outside. And he uses an interesting word when he starts talking about the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality. His point is, don't spend so much time worrying about something that's not going to last. Focus on the things that are eternal. A few weeks ago, I was combing my hair. And there were a couple of hairs that were not brown colored there. Let me just say something real quickly. Before I came to pastor this church, I had a full head of brown hair. And in the last few weeks and months, I've noticed some not brown hair in there. Now, when that moment comes, you have a couple of options, right? I pulled the hairs out. Now, what's the problem with that? That, yeah, that old wives tell two more grow in. It takes a little while, though, so you, a few more days. I'm fighting a losing battle, right? Eventually, I'm going to lose that battle, right? Or my hair. Yeah, unless I go bald, it's not going to be brown in a few years. You don't see many naturally brown men's hair when they're 75 or 80 right? Now, the same is true in every aspect of our physical appearance, right? I mean, I know there are ways to make us look like we are not aging, shots and creams and procedures and such. And we've all seen those people that have taken that a step or two too far, right? But when you're worried about your outward appearance, you are looting you are fighting a losing battle. Uh, I told um, a staff meeting on Monday, the devotional, I showed some of my high school yearbook because uh, somebody had mentioned on Sunday morning that they uh, their niece had married a guy that went to high school with me, one of the people, families that's visiting. So I looked. When you look at my picture from high school, I was the same height, and I weighed 145. Just in case you're wondering, I don't weigh 145 anymore, all right? And here's the truth. For the next 30 or 40 years, I'm not going to weigh 145 again. No matter how many times I go to Mike Evans Fit Club, right, Sylvia? I had not showed up yet. But that's right. I'm fighting a losing battle. That's my point tonight. Now, at some point in my life, I may get back to 145, but it's probably not in a healthy way, right? We're fighting a losing battle. You realize that there is instructions, there are instructions in Scripture about what you're not supposed to wear to church. Y'all knew that, right? You may know where that is? It's in 1 Timothy. And he talks about dressing modestly. And that's where you say that in church on Sunday. Everybody gives you amen. But when he says dress modestly, he means don't put on your good stuff. Dress down. You don't hear that preached too much from the pulpit, but that's what Timothy says. Why? Because they had this issue where they were trying to impress each other with their stuff. And he says, listen, in a relationship with your husband... Don't worry about the outward stuff. Now, here's the truth. When you get married or engaged and somebody says, I married them because they're attractive, what do they usually mean? What do they mean by attractive there? Their looks, right? There was just this attraction, which meant I really liked the way he looked. This is another one of those things that's just kind of being frank and honest. The older you get, the less important how they look is. But how they act and who they are is where attractiveness is found. Now, this is not where you go home tonight and say, Honey, you are fighting a losing battle with those looks, all right? I mean, we recognize that we are all the way down, but you just, isn't it true that if you've been married for a little bit or maybe you were married for a long time and your significant other has gone on to be with the Lord, or isn't it true that they get more attractive by who they become and are than how they look on the outside. Now that doesn't mean just let yourself go, right? Saying worry about those inside qualities. The imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very valuable in God's eyes. That what he means there is don't be a troublemaker. Okay? It doesn't mean that you can't say a word. In fact, he's going to give in a moment the example of Sarah, who was one of those women who sometimes said what she thought to her husband. Right? Or laughed, right? Or laughed. She Remember, the comes and says, this, you don't have a child? What's she doing? She, and we get the idea. It wasn't like, <laughs> that's funny. It was like, are you serious? I mean, Abraham. Come on. You wouldn't even Abraham then, right? Because you have a kid. And Abraham means father of many. Are you, that's not right. She started laughing. She told him on a couple of other occasions he needed, you know, she kind of spoke up. But when he said, the Lord's called us to move, what did she do? She moved. When the baby came, she accepted. There were a couple of times she got in trouble. and That's when she tried to step outside of God's plan. It wasn't... Submissive to his plan. You have become her children when you do good and aren't frightened by anything alarming. The idea there is you've come to understand how to live in the midst of whatever situation you find yourself. And then in verse 7, Peter does something that other writers in the ancient world outside of the New Testament don't do. He gives commands to the husband. Generally, and this is where we have to put ourselves back in that society. Generally in that society, husbands could treat their wives however they wanted to treat them. Whatever they wanted to do was okay. Whatever they wanted to say was okay. Wives were at their disposal. Now that sounds terrible to us and it was terrible to Peter and Paul. Out of all the ancient writings, the only one that addressed directly the husbands and give them responsibility in the relationship are biblical writers. So what is interpreted today as demeaning women, which we're going to read one in a minute that some interpreters will take that way, was in their society, lifting them to places they had never been before. And he says to husbands in the same way, live By the way, he's about to give them one of the most difficult tasks known to humanity. Live with your wives with understanding. I like the New International Version. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Guys, let me just ask you a question. Is it difficult to understand women? Amen. Right? Right? A couple of you are brave enough to talk. A couple of you gave me little glances like, I got you. But I don't want to hear about it when I get home. So I'm with you. All right. Peter says, now here's the thing that's interesting about that to me. What was Peter known for when he was an apostle? What was Peter known for? Huh? Compulsive, right? Impulsive. He was impulsive. I heard what you said. And I agreed with what you said and somehow used a different word. He was impulsive. He may have been compulsive too, but they didn't. He's impulsive, right? He's the, one, the As we've talked about, he's the apostle with the foot-shaped mouth. He spoke before he thought. Wasn't very considerate. He wasn't very thoughtful. He just kind of said whatever came to mind. And here he's the one telling them to be considerate and thoughtful and understanding. Well, he was married then. New Testament, people say, well, he didn't have a wife. Yeah, he did, because it talks about Jesus healing his mother-in-law, and I've not met anybody that's got an in-law that doesn't have a spouse, right? I don't think you can adopt in-laws. I don't know. Never mind. We'll just stop there. We'll just stop there. My in-law's preaching this Sunday. I don't need to say anything, right? He says live in an understanding way. And here's why that's difficult. is He was telling guys to study and understand their wives in a society where that wasn't either expected or required or encouraged. I heard the great theologian Jeff Foxworthy say one time that he knew why we had such a hard time understanding women is because we don't study them. He said, I was standing in line the other day and all the women's magazines had quizzes to know your man. How to Know Your Man Better. What is your man thinking? He thought, our magazines have, what did the Tampa Bay Devil Rays do last week? Are the Jets going to win this week? They don't have anything to do about studying women, and we need to learn. Here's the problem, too. Women generally put more effort into understanding us than we do in understanding them. And yet the way we communicate is, we are more direct, and women are less. The way I've used it before in a sermon is women in communication are hunters and men are hunters, okay? Now, that did not apply to every relationship. It applies in our relationship, my relationship. I uh, applied in the relationship of a youth minister in Ripley. We hired a new youth minister, got married about six months after he came to work for us, he came into my office about a month after getting back from the honeymoon. He says, i got to talk to you. I said, well, what's going on with well, her? I don't know. She won't talk to me. I said, she won't talk to you? Well, what what happened? Well, I got up this morning. She didn't say a word. Did you try to talk to her? I said, how are you doing? She just grunted. Mm. I said, well, did you do anything last night? Well, not that I was. so said, well, let's walk through what the last thing you remember last night. I goes, well, she came in. She had been to the grocery. She came in. Uh, She didn't have much. She just got a couple of things. She came in, and I was playing the Xbox. And she said, I need to talk to you about something. And I said, I've only got like two minutes left in this game, and we'll talk after that. And she said, fine, it's not that important. We'll talk later. Stormed down the hallway and slammed the door. I said, and what did you do? He said, well, I just finished the game up. And She said she didn't want to talk, so I started another one. I said, you know what she meant when she walked down the hall and said, we'll finish it later. I don't want to talk to you and slam the door. You know what she meant? She meant she didn't want to talk to us. That's not what she meant. What she meant was, turn that game off and come talk to me right now, right? We had a, how do you live with your wife in an understanding way discussion there, right? I remember my, in seminary, one of my Sunday school teachers talking about driving around and uh they were driving around, and she he said, my wife just kept saying, are you thirsty? No, I'm good. And so we just drove around about 45 minutes, and finally she goes, are you not going to stop and get me something to drink? He said, you didn't ask for something. She said, well, I asked you. Well, I'm not thirsty. You know. He said, so for guys, we have to work at the understanding part. And he doesn't let us off the hook. Okay? We work at it. And here's the thing that I will say. i got a big amen at 4 o'clock, by the way, on this. It is a lifelong process to understand our mates. All right? And then he says this interesting little thing that almost could be a little throwaway line, except it riles people up. Understand her as the... Weaker vessel. So when you hear the word weaker vessel, what do you think? Denise, you mentioned that earlier. So why does that kind of strike you there? Okay? Yeah. Okay? So weaker there, immediately one of the things you think is not equal. Okay? Anybody else? What is? What do you think of when you hear weaker there? Not strong. So in what way? Physically? Emotionally? Huh? I'm just asking. I'm not I'm asking. This is one of those questions, guys, you might not want to answer, all right? Yeah? Here's the thing. You can read 40 scholars on this and they, don't, they give you 40 different answers. Whatever else is implied here, I think the main, one of the main things implied is that it is part of our responsibility as men to look out for and protect the women in our lives, and I don't think there would be some women that would cringe at that statement, but that's simply what I think is being mentioned here. We, we're working with Eli about what it means to be a gentleman. Okay, he's nine, which means all girls have cooties except for his mom. All right, you know what I mean by cooties. He, he doesn't touch him. He doesn't look at him. He doesn't talk to him. There's this little girl in his class that kind of likes him. He see you at the pole. We're supposed to be spiritual morning, saying good morning to everybody. He walks right past her. She tries to say something. He doesn't look at her. Just walks right past her. I'm afraid he thought he was going to turn into a girl for the moment if he talked to her. And so we're trying to help him learn. Okay, this is what it means. And so the other day I, I thought it was funny. We went to get flu shots, and Luke had been sick. A little bit earlier in the week, he had a checkup, and at the checkup, he got the flu shot. So I take Maddie and Eli. And so the nurse looks at him and says, Eli, so you're the big brother. Are you going to show your little sister how brave you can be and that this really isn't that big of a deal? And Eli looks her straight in the face and says, she can go first if she would like to. His two-and-a-half-year-old little sister. So she goes over. Maddie comes over. Okay, I go first. And she takes the shot. And what does that look like, what And you know, <laughs> what did you just do to me, Dad? He said, we we're coming to the doctor. There's a new show on Disney about Doc McStuffin's doctor, and she loves it, so she thinks going to the doctor is like a treat until that moment. That'll hurt. And so she gets up, and Eli comes over. So we had to have a discussion about what it means to kind of be protective of your little sister and to watch out for her. And he said, well, Dad, you keep telling me ladies first. It's like, yes, but that's a different kind of scenario. And it is generally in in our house. if, If in the middle of the night it appeared something was happening that was threatening our family, part of my nature, and I'm not the most aggressive guy, but part of my nature would be to do whatever it took to protect the family. And what he says here is that we need to honor them, respect them. Now there's also another example in play here that's a little more obscure but also has some bearing. Paul talks about in the body of Christ that we give more attention to the weaker members. We honor the weaker members more than others. Okay? What Paul means in his body analogy is we protect the vulnerable parts of, who, of ourselves physically. Okay? Um, they're not real delicate ways to say what the euphemism is there. But we protect important arteries, organs, and private parts. That's what they mean. Okay? And we give special honor to protecting them. We cover them up. We honor them by covering And there's this sense that Paul is talking about in the church, if there are weaker members or there are people that we need to watch over, that they they get more honor by us taking care of them. And so Peter seems to be picking up on that analogy in some ways and saying that the ladies, the women, the wives in our lives are the most important part of the relationship as far as our concern in serving them. And we need to honor them as much as possible. Nobody in the ancient world was telling people that. It's hard for us to comprehend because we have come so far. But in the ancient world, your wife was yours to do with it as you please. And Peter tells the wives, it's okay to submit to the authority. But then he says to the husbands, but treat her with honor. And respect. And then he says this phrase. As co-heirs. Of the grace of life. There is no way that weaker vessel can mean inferior or not equal. When he calls them co-heirs. Equal partners in the inheritance we have from the Lord. There is this sense. That there are certain structures in our ordered world that are tutors or watchers till we get to the kingdom of God. And that they're established in certain ways to help us to understand submission to authority of God. And then when we get to heaven, those are not going to be there. If you think you're going to get to heaven and be in a relationship where the husband is the head of the household, first of all, Scripture says there's no marriage in heaven. I have no idea how that means you're going to relate to one another, but there's no marriage. There's not going to be hierarchy in heaven. But in some sense, there is now. We're not going to have governmental structures of presidencies and debates in heaven. And it'll sound ludicrous to even think about it. The idea of getting around to hear two humans talk about who's going to be in control when the God of the universe is sitting right there is kind of ludicrous to think about. The idea of who's the head of the household when the presence of God is so filled that place that you don't need a son is ludicrous. But for here and now, we play our roles here's the last thing I would say to husbands in here. There's also this little phrase that sometimes gets overlooked, that if you don't treat your wife with respect, and that's the vessel that is honored in your life, that your prayers are hindered. Now it says, not exactly that, but it says to treat her that way, so what? So that your prayers will not be hindered. And so our responsibility, I believe, as husbands, is greater than the wives. And the truth is, if more guys were doing what verse 7 says, verse 1 through 6 wouldn't be that difficult. And we've got to call men to do what Peter encourages us to do. Next week we move off of controversial topics just to talk about how to live in society in general. All right? Let's pray.